everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. And I'm Peter Glassford. Uh, so, Peter, what have we been up to lately? Well, we've been uh, out, we were camping uh, between a couple cyclocross races, so we had our van, we have a Ford Transit Connect, and we've got a little bed set up that I built with my dad, got um, him moving, um, and yeah, so we, we got that built, and we were camping, so we were outside in nature for a whole week. Um, I mean, nature, yeah, nature is pushing it a little bit. I feel like we were kind of glamping more than we were I mean, camping. we were car camping, but we had our, our van all equipped, and it was we were able to keep working, though, so we were also digital nomads, hashtag. <laughs> I think you're supposed to say hashtag before digital. But we were able to get lots of good training in. Uh, we're preparing and sort of doing some, some prep slash base work here for Ironman Canada in August, so we were able to do some runs and some riding around the, the park. Mm -hmm. And I did my first math test this week on the bike. We did one on the run a couple weeks back, but I'm excited to sort of see how that goes, uh, figuring out what my power is at a aerobic heart rate. Yeah, so basically it's a 30-minute test where you ride sort of at a sub-maximal pace. So it's not necessarily a sufferfest, but sort of an annoying pace, sort of like you might be doing in an Ironman or a marathon or something. Annoying about covers it, for and sure. So what you're looking for is just sort of what that speed is at that sustainable heart rate or that sustainable uh, perceived exertion. So what we hope is that next time she does that or next time you do the test and every time you do the test that you would be going a little faster at that, that's that heart rate or that perceived exertion. Yeah, so that was super exciting for me. Um, let's see, what else have we been up to? I fly to Belgium in a couple of days. That's pretty exciting. Um, lots of cyclocross racing. Lots of cyclocross racing. Very excited to go over and see some of the world's best racing cyclocross. Uh, and actually, any other exciting news for me, the new update of Saddle Sore, Ride Comfortable, Ride Happy, is out now. Um, it's kind of a great book on cycling and saddle comfort and general happiness. Uh, the updated version talks about when you can ride during pregnancy, when you can ride after pregnancy, some stuff on menopause and how that impacts your riding, and a chapter for guys only. So it kind of hits, the, uh, hits the, the male side of the cycling spectrum too, since you guys have trouble with saddle stories and everything as well. 100%. Yeah, a lot of people have enjoyed the book, so you've expanded it, and you know it's, it's now on Amazon. You can get print copy or an ebook, uh, Kindle edition, mm -hmm. um, and so that's available now. Yeah, we'll throw links to that in the show notes, but you can go to saddlesorebook.com for that. Uh, speaking of new books, our guest today... I just, also has a new book. Yeah. A best-selling book. book, as mm -hmm. a matter of fact, so she's doing really well with her new book, and uh, I was really excited to have Katie Bowman on the podcast today. She uh, has a book called Movement Matters, is her latest one. She has five books, um, all sort of around this idea of, you know, not just exercising, but moving throughout the day, and how our lack of movement, our movement sort of influences, you know, our health, um, you know, our, our relationships, our, uh, you know, the environment around us. So um, her book is really, really, I found motivational, you know, it has a lot of good ideas uh, for how you can get moving. And I think this is relevant for anyone, whether you're trying to get, you know, a parent moving, you, you yourself are trying to overcome some sort of, you know, pain or discomfort or, you know, lack of energy. Or if you're an elite athlete, you're probably lacking some of what Katie calls, um, Nutritious movement. Well, movement nutrients, but mm. yes, you're lacking in some nutritious movement, um, you know, and in terms of the variety. So if you're a cyclist, then, you know, you're probably not doing things like picking things up or squatting down low or, you know, 
extending that hip, we're all in that flexed hip position. So we cover a lot of cool stuff with Katie today. I think it was really good. I could have talked to her for hours and hours and hours, but uh, you can't always do that. So someday I hope to meet her. And Peter's a bit of a fangirl, if you haven't noticed. A little bit. So yeah, so she was really generous uh, to be on the podcast, and we're really excited to get a chance to talk to her about her book and sort of just some, some of these concepts and how they apply to endurance athletes specifically. Yeah, and the consummate athlete specifically. And we have to admit, we actually did sort of, you know, take a lot of stuff from her when we started talking about wanting to be able to do any sport and pretty much handle any movement. A lot of that came from the fact that we were walking more and we'd been, you know, reading a bunch of her stuff and listening to her great podcast, Haiti Says. I think so. I think it's, you know, if you're an elite athlete and you're getting paid a lot of money to do something, you know, you do what you got to do. But, uh, you know, these ideas, you know, whether it's doing a couple different sports and being well varied or just, you know, again, being sort of a functioning human, I, I definitely, Katie was a big part of that. It's part of my coaching philosophy and sort of kinesiology philosophy. Um, so, yeah, hopefully you enjoy this and, and get something in there that you can add to sort of your, your movement routine, but also to your family and just your general lifestyle. Cool. All right. Without further ado, here's Katie. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We're here today with Katie Bowman. I'm super excited. Um, I follow Katie for quite a while and a lot of her, her books and blog articles and stuff have been very influential on different things I've sort of added to my practice. Um, and then also just to my own lifestyle, both Molly and I have, have taken a bunch of the concepts that hopefully we'll talk about today um, and, and really found a lot of benefit. So yeah, really excited to have Katie here. Katie is a biomechanist, but uh, as I read just today uh, in her latest book, Movement Matters, the emphasis is on the bio. So Katie focuses not so much or not only on the isolated joint angles or like very specific movements, but she focuses on the uh, biology, you know, how that, how the movement, how the different things we do or maybe aren't doing uh, as far as movement have influence on our families, on, you know, our environment, on, you know, our, our health. Um, so it, it's sort of a very holistic approach and uh, is really sort of novel as, as much as sometimes, you know, uh, with all respect, it, it seems simple. It's like a lot of simple things. It's not easy. So all that to say, Katie has uh, <laughs> numerous articles, five books, um, an awesome podcast, um, and yeah, her latest book, Movement Matters, is now available on Amazon. So with all that rambling on, uh, Katie, welcome to the Consummate Athlete. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. Um, so what we always like to start with is sort of just, you know, what you've done as far as movement and sort of your own sort of athletic career. So, so where have you come from? What, what have you done? Well, I don't think for those who, who know me, I was not a very um, active person through my childhood. You know, I was pretty sedentary. I was a bookworm, right? That's how I think how you end up being a biomechanist sometimes is lots of reading. But around 18 or 19, I discovered the world of exercise and I became um, a runner. Like I was always a person who struggled with the, I hated the mile day. At, at elementary school and junior high, we always had to run a quarter mile, then a half mile, then three quarter miles and one mile. Every every Friday we would build up to be running a mile and I hated mile day. Um, and then something just happened when I was about 18 or 19 years old and I became a runner and I went from someone who did nothing to, I mean, I think probably by the time I was done, um, 
with my undergraduate degree and I graduated in biomechanics from the kinesiology department, there was quite a bit of movement stuff required. I mean, I was, I was exercising, I was a personal trainer, I was an aerobics instructor and I was a runner and I was doing upwards of four to five hours of exercise a day and three to four hours of those were usually cardio, you know, pretty intense endurance stuff. And I just did it for fun, for work, but it made me a really good runner where I think I thought, I think I ran my first race when I was a 5k, I was probably 22 or 23. And I thought, Oh, 5k, that sounds fun. And I did it. And I, I ended up running like seven and a half minute miles, just like, like nothing. Like I, I was there in my old shirt. I think I was eating an apple five minutes before we started and everyone else around me was doing all these stretches and had all this clothes and these like goo packs and stuff. And I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't know if I belong here, but I just, I became a, that kind of runner that just ran 5k and 10k's. And then I started doing triathlons. I was always a swimmer. I, I shouldn't say that I wasn't too much of an exerciser because I was always very comfortable in the water and I swam on the team and through high school. So uh, swimming was pretty good. Running is pretty good. Terrible at cycling. <laughs> so I remember I did, you know, and I'm, I am not, I remember that I thought it would be just fun to do this triathlon. I didn't train for it. You know, I didn't, I didn't follow any programs. I didn't read anything. I was like, I know how to run. I know how to swim. I know how to ride a bike. And I showed up. It was the Carpinteria triathlon and I borrowed someone else's bike and I didn't know anything about gear. And I just remember getting, you know, I finished, came out of the water really fast and I hopped on this bike and it had all the gears were broken. So I, it was basically like riding a beach cruiser you well, know, around. Carpinteria, so that, that makes sense. Right, exactly. And it was, you know, it was, I just remember that my biggest memory is people yelling on the left for probably an hour and why I went from being like the first person out of the water to the last person coming, coming in on the bicycle. But I didn't care because I did it just because it was awesome to do. And that was, you know, I, I was a runner. I think the, the most I ever ran was a half marathon. And I did, you know, I was like, I want to run eight and a half minute miles the whole time. And that was fine. I didn't train. I just did it. And that was, those are pretty much all of the um, athletics I've ever done besides playing, you know, a little bit of pickup sports here and there. But that, that was pretty much what I did solitary and then a lot of running. Okay. It's so funny as you're as you're saying this, I'm just like sitting here nodding. I used to uh, pretend <laughs> to throw up to get out of doing that mile in gym class. <laughs> Good, I feel so connected to you right now. <laughs> right? Honestly, it's so funny. We got in very very similarly. Peter makes fun of me because triathlon was my start, and I'm the same way. Swimming is just sort of yeah, what I what I always did. Yeah. It must be the easiest thing. It's like, I don't weigh anything in the water. It's got to be, right? I'm so I'm good at this. I can kind of lay on my back and float when I'm when I'm tired <laughs> as opposed to running. You can't do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm trying to learn how to swim right now, and I don't know how much floating's happening, but... Not much. Yeah. It's pretty funny. <laughs> we all have our strengths. Yes. Yeah. Um, so now, though, you're uh, doing... Like, you've done a 37-mile walk. Have, have you... And that's, you're doing that, isn't, if I remember right, that's like on your birthday, usually you're doing your walkabouts, is that? You know what, and so like, it's really interesting. So like that, I don't really think of that as my athletic career. My athletic career was really when I was engaging in exercise, you know, simply for the physical accomplishment of it all, um, solely, you know, for the physical accomplishment. But I've done certainly many big 
things. You know, I, I like to now, you know, I guess if it's a version of athletics to someone else, it would be on my birthday. I always try to do something to do with the numbers. So a couple of years ago when I turned 39, I'm like, I'm going to walk 39 miles this week. And when I turned 40, or maybe it was when I was 38. And then when I turned 40, um, we live in a particular area where you can walk for a very long time, like all the way up to this particular river up into the Olympic mountains. And I'm like, I'm going to walk, you know, 40 miles for my 40th birthday. And so I have done stuff like that, you know, um, okay. accomplished lots of, you know, smaller, I like, I like, um, treks that have a sense of accomplishment more so than just the mileage alone, like to be able to walk to a particular lighthouse or to, you know, do a through hike or something like that, where you can kind of check it off the box as being this interesting experience. I, de I definitely love those now. That's something I've carried on with. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, a good jump off point in that, you know, you have sort of these two different things, right. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're talking about sort of walking throughout the day or, you know, a certain weekend adventure or something like that, you know, maybe with the family or something and that being somehow, you know, being different than what we're calling exercise. So maybe your, your swim practice or your 5k run. Um, can you speak about the ways that the, that, that's different, this movement throughout the day is different? So just sort of that basic definition, I guess, because I guess that's, that's a big part of defining sort of your work. So Yeah, it's definitely a good starting point. Um, so a lot of the work that I do was, you know, I only understood, I, growing up in this culture that we all live in, and then, you know, going to school and graduate school and, you know, studying biomechanics and kinesiology departments, exercise was my world. I never, I never considered any other movement outside of exercise. I frankly didn't know any other movement existed. You know, someone asks you, did you move today? You just think, you know, gosh, did I do my 30 minutes or my five miles or whatever. You're searching for that exercise box. But then I started to really, when I was in graduate school and in, in subsequent studies and books, I was trying to break up like, what is the difference between exercise and movement? How are, how are the, how do they relate to each other? So movement is, you know, anything that you do with your physical body. Um, but exercise is really a rhythmic activity that you're engaging in for the sole benefit of extracting the physical benefit. Meaning you, you are doing, you are exercising because you want the physical adaptations that come from it. And so in move your DNA, I talked about, you know, if you have a tree and you're climbing the tree in the backyard for exercise, like say you're taking an exercise class and it's like, all right, everyone to the up top of the tree and back down, Be you know, because you're, you want to use the muscles in your shoulders and you want to make sure that core is strong enough and your hips are mobile enough. And so you're doing it for the exercise. But if you were climbing that back, that very same tree for the apples, you, you would be the purpose of your climb would be to get some other thing that's necessary to your survival, where the movement is the byproduct of you getting something that you need. And so once I really started to go, wow, exercise is kind of, it's movement that's happening outside of everything else happening within your life, right? You know, you we have families and you have work and you've got hobbies and, um, a lot of times to exercise, you you leave all of that to be able to just extract the physical nutrition out of what you're doing. And you're not necessarily developing any other 
aspects of your life. And then since I'm studying, you know, biology and ecology and environment, like environmental and evolutionary history and medicine, and you're going, okay, well, where did movement used to happen? And so that's, that's how I hold the difference in my mind. One is when you are moving and nothing else is really happening in your life except for those benefits. And then moving is of course, any movement that you're doing where not only are you getting those physical benefits, but something else is also being facilitated during that bout of movement. Okay. Yeah, that's perfect. That's a perfect definition. Now in your book, you, um, you, you tied the sort of, you further explain that concept, I guess, by saying, you know, we used to have to get our, our food. We had to, you know, go out and forage or, or whatever. And so when we were hungry, then we had to do some type of movement to then get that food. And, and I thought that was a really good way to sort of, you know, explain sort of what, um, I guess, nutritious movement, which is another one of your, your terms that you've coined, uh, what it is. Um, so I guess, could you speak to why like an athlete, so say a cyclist, um, you know, they're out there for several hours, you know, three or four hours and, you know, they're doing this repetitive motion. Um, what, what would they be missing, I guess, uh, without being too leading, I guess, but what would they be missing (laughs) as far as this nutritious movement? Like what would, what would they be lacking? Well, nutritious movement is a little bit different than movement ecology. So the idea of nutritious movement is, that movement functions very similar, similarly to dietary nutrients. So I delineate the two between like there are mechanical nutrients and there are dietary nutrients. There are other nutrients as well. But if we just wanted to hold those two nutrients in your mind, when you eat, there are, there's not really good foods or bad foods as much as you need a very specific spectrum of foods because your cells operate on the right amount of many different nutrients. And so when you have a nutritional deficiency, there's a very specific illness or a range of illnesses that erupts in people who are missing very specific nutrients. And so over time, when you see those same ailments, someone qualified in dietary nutrients, like, oh, those are symptoms of a deficiency of vitamin this or vitamin that. With movement, it's very, it's very similar where you can take something good, like let's say cycling, which is you know a perfectly fine motion, but if your movement diet is solely one type of nutrient over and over and over again, you're going to find yourself depleted in other areas, as well as, just if we go back to dietary nutrients, vitamin D is great. If you don't have vitamin D, there are many ailments that erupt. But if you get too much vitamin D, that vitamin D is now also toxic. You're, you will shut your organs down by taking too much vitamin D. So it's always to remember that that the dose of the range of nutrients is is what it takes to be healthy, meaning it's what it takes for your system to function without some indication of malnutrition. So I would suggest that most of us are suffering from movement malnutrition, whether it's someone who's doing zero movement at all, or it's someone who's consuming a very high amount of one particular nutrient over and over and over again. Because then if we want to now convert it to mechanical terms, you've got stress risers, injury makers. Um, One of the things that's really key to my work is that people can 
widen their perspective from people being either active or sedentary to within your own body, there are active and sedentary parts. There are parts of you that you use all the time and there are parts of you that you've never used. And that to understand that the protective benefits of exercise are on the cellular level and some benefits to exercise are global, meaning meaning you can do something with one part of your body and thereby nourish all parts of your body. But you can also do things with one part of your body that doesn't do the same thing to all parts of your body as it's doing to that one part of your body. So for example, if you're a cyclist, you're using your legs in a particular way and that helps you adapt to that thing that you're doing. But when you transition to something different, like maybe like a bone loss is a big thing in a cyclist's um, quite often, or that you can actually start with a particular bone density in certain areas. And then after training, you can see a decrease in certain locations that have not had to be weight bearing due to the bicycle carrying the bulk of your weight. Okay. So that cycling, yes, there are definitely whole body adaptations, but there are also local ones within the body. And just because some just because some whole body measures like your VO2 max or your resting heart rate are getting better, those don't necessarily translate to all of your cells receiving the same protective benefit of exercise, that it's complicated mm. and that, that your cells are all adapting to their particular mechanical environment and that depends on the loads that you experience while you're moving. That's, that's really good. Yeah. And I mean, when we started this consummate athlete idea, I think, you know, that was sort of the ideas we wanted, you know, to branch out and be able to sort of participate in anything. Right. And I think some of that came from, you know, I had athletes that I'm coaching um, and a lot of them are endurance athletes and, you know, I'm seeing them getting hurt. You know, they try and go play pickup basketball, you know, randomly one week and boom, an Achilles tendon's gone or, you know, other kid wants to go play you know, whatever, and they jump on them and their back gets thrown out or, or something, right? And so I was sort of like, you know, these people are pretty fit, you know, but we're seeing like people are overweight, they're getting, like I say, injured in normal life. And I was just like, there's just something missing. And so that's where a lot of your stuff, I felt like made a lot of sense, you know, is because most of these people are training maybe eight hours a week. So like an hour, you know, every weekday or whatever. And, and it's just really not accounting for, you know, all the office time or all the commute time or, you know, not sleeping enough or, you know, all this sort of stuff. So that's, I think, where we got with this consummate athlete idea. Um, and so I think the next thing I'd love you to sort of expand on is your idea of stacking and how, you know, even if someone did want to be a cyclist, that's what they love and that's what they're doing. Um, you know, how, how would they go about you know, enhancing their, their movement nutrition or their, their mm -hmm. variety, I guess is another way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that, I mean, if you're drawn to being an athlete and your joy is bound up in there, that's great. We're not really even talking about that one thing that you eat or that one plate of food that you have every day, movement speaking, but it's about what you're consuming the rest of the time. So no matter who you are, athlete or otherwise, um, you need to look at your mechanical inputs throughout the day. And so a lot, a lot of the injury making is that you've got like uh, people who exercise and non-exercise, people who could fall into that athletic 
category really don't differ that much on paper from those who do zero exercise at all. Because at the end of the day, it comes down to that 60 to 90 minutes of free time that you have every day and you're either choosing to exercise with it or you're not. And so again, that's not that much different. I mean, you're talking about 4% of your life looks different. You know, if I was plotting your body graph, it was only, it'd be like a small blip in each day in which you got up and moved around. So the, the good news is like around that exercise time, you have ample time. You've got hours and hours to be moving more, but you just have to think about other movements besides what you do for fun. I always think of like, you know, your athletics, it's like dessert almost, and you want to have it on a, a sound on a sound diet. And so right now, everyone's pretty malnourished movement-wise at the time preceding and following their bout of exercise. So we want to look at that time. That's the big idea. Now, the second piece that you're asking about stacking. Stacking is, okay, I don't have time to move during that other time because I get up in the morning, I got to make breakfast. And if you're an athlete, you're probably already maybe stressed for time because you're trying to eat for your sport, right? Someone's told you that you need all these things. Now you're trying to like cook your own food. You're trying to source quality ingredients. Your oh. coach told you you needed two more hours of sleep than you're getting. Okay, well, how, like, well, and okay. Your wife, well, yeah, and your significant exactly. other saying you need two hours less of this training. Exactly, right? So so like where, where do you get more time to move, Katie? Like that's the question. And the question is you get movement via the way people have always gotten movement, which is alongside all of the other things that happen within their life. So everyone has tasks that they have to do throughout their life. It's just we all mostly choose the sedentary form of the task. If you have to run an errand, you do it in your car. Um, you want to spend time with your loved ones and your children, but you do it sitting down in a restaurant or driving them to somewhere and then sit down while they take a class. Like it's just the choices that we're making to fulfill our day-to-day -day obligations are the choices a sedentary culture will make. So an example of stacking that was in the book that I put in, cause I thought it was helpful for, you know, so many people is my husband and I, like my husband is, um, he's an ex soccer player. He still actually is a soccer player, but he's a super competitive soccer player. And both of us, you know, we're pretty heavy into athletics you know, maybe close to our 30s, you know, before we had a family. And then we hit this kind of wall of we have kids and now we have like, we're grownups now. I'm like, we just don't have the time to do the things that we used to do. But, you know, we have date night, right? Date nights when we go out, you know, we're going to the movies and we're going to dinner. And then it was like, why, why are we sitting here doing this? Like, we love to move so much. Why don't we swap date night or date hike. And it's the, it gives us all the same things that we want in our relationship, but it also allows us to not be sedentary in order to get it. Like sedentarism and romantic connection don't have to go hand in hand. In fact, for us, we were both always frustrated by how little we could move and how we always felt kind of stagnant. So it's a small switch, right? It's a, it's a, it's a different decision with how to spend your time. And then lo and behold, not only were we together, not only were we moving, the quality of time together felt that much better because we were also do doing the thing that we wanted to do. Like movies are fine, but 
I feel yes. way better. That's why people go out and exercise. You feel better after exercising than not. So why don't you support your relationships and your family time and your work with more movement? And it just requires that you change, that you expand your idea of how a task can be accomplished. That's mm -hmm. what stacking is. And I think that was your point in the book that it's not multitasking. It, it's in mm -hmm. fact, you know, thinking about what your, your value is, I think is the term you used. And, mm -hmm. then, and then just sort of figuring out how you can accomplish that differently. Yeah. I mean, we all have to be productive, but there's nothing, you know, productive at work. You know, you're recording a podcast. You, we're, we're, we're working throughout the day. We're working on our computers. But there's nothing that says that that desk and that chair has to go in the, that my laptop only works when my butt is connecting some sort of circuit in my chair. Like it doesn't work that way that you can, you can suggest that you take a meeting out on a walk, all those business calls, you can um, outside or on the go. So that's the book of the books that I write are simple strategies. Right. Um, and I think we definitely have enjoyed this idea of going for walks to get groceries or, you know, walk around town and visit people. Um, and it's been really good. It's a good chance to talk and, and everything else. So I think definitely as far as, you know, getting some of this movement in, like it definitely starts being definitely additive. Like it's not finding. Hello. Know. Hello. Oh, hello. I think oh, I just lost you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just saying it's, it's definitely good going and walking together, I think is something we've definitely enjoyed and taken from your work for sure is, you know, going out and getting groceries and, and going for a walk and, you know, going and visiting people or whatever uh, can definitely be done like that versus driving to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. um, and that's definitely something we've enjoyed. Um, so that's, I think, you know, as far as an athlete, then um, if we look at the day, if they, you know, they have their training, but then they might come home and like you say, they might walk with the kids to the skate park or they might walk to class or, you know, go pick the kids. Or up even if they're tired, you know, if you're tired, you can sit down, but you don't have to flop into your couch. Mm. So I think that movement does, it doesn't always have to be, I mean, I, the difference between when you, when you're an athlete, the intensity that you expend is fairly high. And so there is this, I would say for a lot of people, a feeling of exhaustion. Um, but I think that you can consume your rest time in even a more dynamic way, right? So instead of sitting on the couch, you can sit on the floor. And just by doing that, you're essentially doing your recovery stretches, right? Like, I mean, when you're, you as a coach, I imagine that most of your athletes are given you know, five to 10 correctives maybe for their particular joints, mm -hmm. muscle imbalances. But the bulk of those often look like the walk joint configurations yeah. you get by sitting on the floor. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, going for a walk, but sitting on the floor and sort of changing position and yeah, for sure. It just doesn't like, but you are, a lot of times people will use their recovery day for their recovery stretches. Well, what if you don't have to carve out extra time? You can be doing twice the recovery work within your life and thus improve your athletic performance, which I think an athlete is going to be interested in. And that's definitely been my experience. Like I used to spend, you know, a lot of time on mobility and had all the rollers and lacrosse balls. Mm -hmm. And I still do a bit of that. Like, obviously sometimes it, it gets to the point where you need to do it. You know, we travel and stuff a ton, but definitely I found my t time I have to spend on that stuff now because we're walking more and we're sitting, you know, we're, we're actually sitting on the floor right now. Um, 
you know, it, it greatly reduces any of that mobility time. So again, that freed up a whole hour where I don't have to sit on the floor doing specialized mobility drills. No, because you wanted to get something else done too, right? You know, if you can sit on the floor and take in your entertainment or, you know, eat your meal. It's just about your mobility doesn't have to be exclusively for that physical benefit. You could do something else in your life, which allows you actually, you become a better athlete and you become someone who can move more because you're no longer trying to leave your life, step out of your life to get more exercise. You know, at a certain point it becomes, it's impossible, you know? And I do think that oftentimes athletes or people who are really focused will have to reduce their social time and their relationships and time with their family because they can't get the training that they need to pursue, you know, their dream and also meet the needs that other people and other aspects of your life place on you. So I think that stacking, when you can recognize that so much of what you do for exercise is actually just a packaged version of the movement that you would get in a more natural setting, it fits in so much better and you don't have to choose anymore. You can get both, mm -hmm. but it's not like you're doing your mobility exercises and trying to help your kids with your homework. You're just doing it on the floor. You know right. what I mean? That's why it's not multitasking. Yeah, exactly. And and it just becomes the norm for sure. And I think, you mm -hmm. know, they'll, they really like that. And they have kids moving all around too. And I think that's, that's super. Um, so from there, what I'm wondering is if you can talk about, you know, a lot of these sports, things like rock climbing, cycling, um, you know, just sports shoes generally, shoes in general, um, have really narrow toe boxes, you know, and, and people end up, you know, we just had a friend who ended up getting surgery on a huge bunion um, from cycling shoes and walking around in cycling shoes for years. Um, you know, are, what are there ways that we can avoid this? You know, if, if the cycling's unavoidable or not going to be removed or non-negotiable at this point, yeah. Um, you know, how, how can we maybe overcome that? Yeah. I mean, I think if people, if you can really state clearly, I'm, I am choosing to still do this thing, you know, rather than feeling like it's, you're making the choice to continue to do it. That's fine. It's just that, this, this, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of like clipping in, you know, a cycling shoe or rock climbing shoe. When exercise is your sole movement for the day, you're adapting to, you're adapting to what you do most frequently, but you're also adapting to what you do most, um, with the greatest amount of force. So if you're only cycling or rock climbing, and then you're sitting around the rest of the time recovering, your foot never experiences the loads, the work, the motions that come with walking around on spread out, you know, more aligned feet. So you just have to add that in, right? So if the bulk of your diet is pointy shoes, you're going to have to increase your vitamins. My toes can spread out shoes and I'm going to use my legs while I'm wearing them. So that you just have to add that and you want to make sure that none of the other shoes that you wear look like the shoes that you're doing that small bout of exercise. And those are your exercise shoes for, for that sport. They're not the shoes that you wear through the rest of your life. You know, so you, you do like anything else, you train your feet to offset some of that, um, accumulative adaptation that your sport brings about. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that would go for, you know, people who are, you know, high heels are one of the, the big ones too, I guess, you know, they're so that gets even the raised heel, I guess, gets into that. But, um, you know, definitely just considering, you know, if you're ro- a rock climber or a cyclist, then, you know, can you negotiate the high heels out most of the time, right? Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, if you're if you're going from rock climbing to high heels, you're essentially training your toes together muscles all of the time and you are not training your toe spreading intrinsic muscles ever. So you would I would expect people to start having issues of their feet, knees and hips simply because they have atrophy in in uh, foundational places. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, I mean, a simple one would be people just not going barefoot or sorry, not wearing shoes in the house and stuff, right? Would that be, you know, a fairly straightforward way to minimize? Sure. If you're walking around your house quite a bit, I always look for like, where are you spending the bulk of the time? So if if you can see, okay, this is the hour that I'm spending in my shoe. How many other hours are there? What when I take a walk? You know, can I choose a a shoe with a wider toe box? Um, How much barefoot time? Like, am I just wearing shoes in the house for no particular reason? Can I take those off? And then what are some corrective exercises for my for my feet? Like, we're so used to thinking that form and technique only applies to that bout of exercise. Form and technique, you are adapting to your form and technique 24 hours a day. So if you've got really great sport form, but the rest of your form um, doesn't look so great. You're adapting t- to 24 hours worth of input, and so your your structure over time becomes less robust than what it could be. So you just want to be thinking about how do I move my feet more? You know, it doesn't have to be exercise wise, but even walking over varied terrain, right, is different angles like cross training for your feet. So if you're always walking on flat, you could also just swap your flat ground walking for something that a little lumpy or bumpy and choose a minimal shoe over something super stiff. And what you are doing is moving. It's not only moving more, you need to be moving more of you. So you're moving more of you. Awesome. Um, so I want to keep on the running sort of walking, uh, Thing. I have a quote from, I think it's from your Gate 101 uh, article on your website, which I'll link to. Um, and it says, don't confuse the minimal footwear barefoot movement with a running trend. Every human needs to be able to walk correctly before they run, and shoe characteristics as we know them are interfering with the health of the entire body. Um, about that, I'm wondering, how do we know when we can run? Well... I mean, you can run whenever you can run. The question is, like, at what at what point is, um, at which point is my foot? Are you talking about barefoot? Is that what you're you're talking about? The minimal footwear, barefoot. How to um, know when you should start running with that, or um, or just I before? Mean, like, when does anyone get to run? Yeah, I'm thinking like more generally. Like, is there um a, a time when you know you feel like someone's you know they're not runners already but they might even be an, a runner who is very injured all the time mm-hmm. um, so I'm wondering like from that that quote and that thought um, is there sort of something that you're looking for as far as as the walking that indicates that then you're, you're able to run well I think of so I, again I think of the with nutrients you know if we think of movement in terms of nutrients running is 
kind of like a rare nutrient. You know, it's not something that you necessarily need to consume a ton of, Mm -hmm. but normally it would be coming. So if we're talking about just natural, like humans, movements natural to the humans, you're going to be walking. Like say you had nothing, right? You don't, you don't have a refrigerator. You don't have a car. You don't have a house. There's no grocery stores. You're on foot, right? You're trying to move around to get your stuff. So there's, you're not sprinting around trying to get it, nor are you usually running. You've got this base that you've been doing your entire life where you've been walking, you know, three to 10 miles a day. You squat up and down, you sleep on the ground. You're constantly getting up and down. You're digging and pulling. You might do a sprint here, sprint there. Maybe you're running a little bit here or there, but all of that is the physical foundation upon which you're running is built. So you take this thing that's upright, whole body involves the feet, the knees and the hips. And it's, you know, you're bounce, 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 very repetitive, but your other structures are very sound. If, if someone is not sure, like, wow, do I need a stronger base of physical skill upon which to run with my ad running to, I would say, use your own body of evidence. What are your injuries like? How are your feet, your knees, your hips? How many braces are you wearing? What's taped up? How many ibuprofen are you taking? These are all technologies that you are using to continue running as opposed to making shifts in your physical structure, your strengths, your skill, so that you don't, you're not receiving these indications for your body that your current behavior isn't really working for your body. It's not sustainable. You know, it's like if you think of your body as an ecosystem, there are some clear signs of your current behaviors not being sustainable. Um, So just make a list, I would say. And then if you're clear, then looks like you're good. But if you're not clear, you might want to step back and be like, you know what, maybe I'm going to shave a little bit. Like my feet really hurt. Like if I do a big run, I really can't walk for three or four days. Well, that's not great for your metabolic health and your overall systems that require movement. So if your running is reducing your capability of moving, again, not really sustainable or healthy. You know, you can be fit and not necessarily be healthy. Right. I think that's a great answer. And I think you know, it might be going sort of the opposite way. Maybe the quote was, was talking, um, in that if you're a current runner, you know, sometimes, you know, adding in some walking, which a lot of runners and athletes are sort of reticent to do, but I mean, run walks and stuff even are really good. But I think, like you say, if you could get in a bunch of walking every day for a week, and then instead of one, you know, crusher run that leaves you crippled for the rest of the week, you know, you'd probably be way fitter and healthier and happier at the end of it. Why reticent to run, do you think? I mean, to walk, like what's the reticence? I think because they're runners or they want to get a good workout, ah. right? And so that's the yeah. that's the challenge I've had is like, you know, I have cyclists and it's off season and it's Canada. So, you know, the, the thing that happens almost without fail, you know, I think I'm getting slightly more successful at it every year, but that you have your fit cyclist finishing cycling season, weather's getting a little crappier, you know, it's cross training season you know, they'll have a workout that's like maybe, you know, a walk run that's like really like four minutes of walking, one minute of running or something, you know, just a very basic intro sort of thing to running. And it'll turn into 30 minute, like a 5k, like full out because they're, <laughs> they're really fit, right? Like they they have the cardiovascular ability, but like they have zero, you know, lower leg, anything, right? Like again, mm-hmm. getting back to Achilles and everything else and foot and, you know, foot's net out of the cage and everything else. So yeah. 
I think uh, that, that it's always been, I've always been most successful. Like I, I try not to touch people's workout. Like your workout is fine. The problem is the other 23 hours. So don't, you don't have to decrease your workout high. You need to decrease your sedentary behavior, which is all the other time. And then I find that athletes rise to that occasion because no one wants to be sedentary you know they don't want to pull back from their workout which is totally understandable it's hard to get that intensity um so when i'm talking about adding walking it doesn't even necessarily mean that you have to reduce anything else except your sitting around time right mm -hmm. you know so then you can look at like if you want to wear that fit active healthy label you have to earn it you know if we got if if we if earning an athlete badge or an active person badge took more than working out for that one hour you know maybe we should come up with a like a boy scout girl scout system yeah <laughs> where you get your badges it's like you know i get pedometers you know these fitbits i kind of want reversal programs like it's one thing to say you walked ten thousand steps it's another thing to show you that you didn't walk eight and a half hours. You know what I mean? Like it's a 10,000 seems big. Three miles seems big. But when you compare it to the capability of a human and the amount of time that could have movement in it, you realize that you were talking about percentages that are like less than 10%. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, I think if we could reframe it, it would be more motivating than it is because it's 10,000 or something. I already did 10,000. I can have a break now. It's like, well, what about nine hours of sitting? How does nine hours of sitting feel? You know, so I don't know if it's like a sitometer that I need to create. Or well, some of them, some of them have like a thing that vibrates when you've been sitting too long mm. or not moving. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say sitting, but not moving. Um, yeah. And, and I'm always like so sad when that comes on. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> You, you know. feel like it caught you. Like, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't yeah. know. And so I think that's almost like, for me, that's the bigger. Like, I don't ever look at the actual steps too much. Right. It's more, you know, I really like that feature. Like, I feel like it's like, it's a good reminder. And even if I'm, you know, sometimes it's inevitable. We're driving across the country or right. in a plane. But it's a reminder. Oh, you know, I could probably get up and go to the washroom on the plane or do some sure. stretches or, you know, put my arms over my head or something. Right. Um. So I want to jump here to sleeping position. I haven't, you know, I went through the book. I didn't notice it in this latest book. I'm sure you've talked about it. Um, but sleeping position, you know, that's a big chunk of our day. Or hopefully is a big chunk of our, our 24 hours is sleeping. Um, is there anything that we should avoid as far as like a sleeping position in your opinion? Um, you know, again, sticking with this idea of nutritious movement and stuff. My my biggest write, writings on sleeping are in Move Your DNA, okay. which is, you know, we we are we have a hard time moving out of the adapt. We have a physical adaptation. You're mostly adapted to the amount of time that you spend sitting because that's what you do most frequently, and then you add on it, add to it. You know, your your sporting, your athletic event, which looks remarkably, it's usually pretty linear, right? It's got hip flexion, knee flexion, and your spine's flexed forward, whether you're cycling or running. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of rotational motions happening, right? So you're consuming almost zero all other movements and you're just kind of kind of ODing on one particular plane. And then when you go to sleep, we have created this situation where we've got soft mattresses and pillows to bolster us in that 
particular position so that we can be in it comfortably. So I really recommend that people transition away from needing pillows and very comfortable mattresses because what it does is requires you to to move more during that bout of sleeping. And what I mean by move more isn't like that you're doing calisthenics while you should be sleeping. It means that even like the pressures that your body experiences, those two are cellular loads. That too is movement, right? So that's why movement is bigger than exercise. So you are coddled essentially all night long, which is what allows you to stay in a single position all night long, which is often the position that you came to bed with, which is often the position that you spend all day with. Like most people kind of sleep in a chair sitting position, right? You're on your side, but your knees are flexed, your hips are flexed, and your arms are down by your side, and you're kind of curled up. So um, in preparation, especially for athletes, in preparation for you know, engaging in a six to nine hour movement activity. Can you lie flat on the floor? You know, something hard, like unfurl your body a little bit. Um, and then when you get in bed, can you unfurl your body a little bit so that you're not just automatically practicing more that one position that you're spending so much time training to get out of or doing your corrective exercises or your supplemental exercises. And then the the less cushion you have, the more you naturally are, the more your positions while you sleep vary more naturally, right? If your bolstering is all set up, it's almost like the environment of your bed is what's keeping you fixed in repetitive positioning. So those are my recommendations. There's not an ultimate position. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that you're unable to take rest in anything but your setup. Like you go camping, it's like, oh, my back. You got to stay at a friend's house and their beds. Like that back, that bed killed me. Like we've totally adapted to such a narrow range of movement. We're not very fit or adaptive really at all. Okay. We're just really good at one thing over and over again. So I, I really encourage using your sleeping time as some serious cross training. It's like, you know, people will, ro will roll um, balls, myofascia balls and roll. they'll get all all that discomfort but that's what your current bed setup is presenting it's preventing it you know it's like it's it's preventing you from feeling those pressures right you're used to using pressure as a therapy tool it just usually comes with a roller and a ball and a set of exercises but it's because you're not doing it all night long mm -hmm. so that's my that's my recommendation Okay. No, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, it's similar to why you're sitting on the floor in a lot of ways too, exactly. right? Is because exactly. it's, it's not so much the actual first position you're in. It's that you're going to move to another one because you're not going to be like, you know, in your lazy boy. It's just passive. It's, it's, uh, you know, your environment is facilitating quite a bit of your movement. And if you have this environment that says, don't move, you comply. And as you move, as you start to remove these pieces that make comfort, like you can, you can think of the terms of comfort and convenience as really just meaning less movement or reduced movement. That's what they boil down to at the end of the day. So if you remove, and I don't recommend that anyone listening to this goes, that's it, you know, pillow in the fireplace because you've adapted to it, right? Your, yeah. your head and neck, we train our kids. Like it's like before, well, they've got perfect mobility of their neck and head. It's like, here's a pillow, put your head three inches in front of your chest and then sleep like that for nine hours. Practice that head jutting mm -hmm. for nine hours. So as you, I, I transition, oh, maybe 
maybe it took me 18 months to transition away from a pillow, but I had chronic headaches. I had chronic headaches and neck pain and I'm doing all these physical therapy stretches, you know, and they're trying like, oh, this is so tight. And, and I'm going, I don't get it. Like why? It seems unnatural for a human to have to, I mean, I'm young. Like I'm like, I'm fit. I'm 30. I don't get why I have these problems, <laughs> you know? And then I realized that I was tensing in my sleep. And I'm like, you know, the stretch that they're having me do right now is the position that my neck would be in if I didn't have a pillow and the stretch too. So I just started, um, I actually got three different pillows and then I transitioned to like a rolled up sweatshirt and then a t-shirt. And, and so now I don't use anything. I haven't used anything for years, but some other genius told me that they actually just cut a hole in their pillow and just slowly remove the stuffing. So it was one pillow. And then over time it just got less and less. And and lo and behold, that two trapezius release exercises that you're struggling to try to remember to do and you do them for like two minutes twice a day, you know, I got like eight hours of all of this neck and shoulder work, you know, and, and I'm super relaxed because I'm asleep and there, boom, that's it. No mm -hmm. more problem. No more problem after 25 years of neck and headaches right. gone with my pillow. I mean, like that just blows my mind, but you know, that's that's the physics of it. That's awesome. Yeah. I think great answer for that one. Um, with the, what I want to do is just sort of wrap up here. Um, but you're doing online now classes to try and get back teaching. Um, can mm -hmm. you just tell us sort of what people can expect in those, those class, those classes we will certainly link to that in the show notes and stuff, but what, what are these, these online classes all about? Well, it's like, it's nutritious movement, you know, so I'm like, you know, a lot of my work is transition from very stiff shoes to shoes that allow more movement or what's called minimal shoes and sit on the floor instead of your furniture and, you know, start walking a lot more. You know, we carried our kids. We didn't have any strollers or devices, right? So you just carry 40 pounds with you, walk to the grocery store, carry your groceries home. But really what's happening is to go from someone who's fairly sedentary, even if you're an exerciser, you're probably pretty sedentary all of the other time. You outsource most of your movement. Um, as you're reclaiming it, you simply don't have the structure. I mean, I've worked with really fit people, competitive athletes, but they can't carry their kids. I mean, they're light kids. They can't carry their baby or their two-year-old for very long without throwing their back out, right? Because their body is adapted to a very narrow range of motion. So I've been teaching classes for, I hate to even say it, 20 years out loud, but 20 years, there it is, um, that help people assess their own movement. How do you know, like everyone can put their arms over their head, but some people move more from the shoulder joint and some people have to lift up and hike their shoulders up their ears to get their hands over their head. So it's important to know the difference to recognize where in your body is sedentary and where in your body is compensating for parts that don't move very much and then how to transition and how to get more skills in this kind of more functional whole body strengthening, uh, highly adaptable type movement. So those classes, we're starting to put them online because I live in Washington state and it's hard for lots of people to get there, but I film them and put them online. So that's something new that we just added. And that's our, you know, you just take in, there's a library of classes and you just take an hour class here and there as it fits into your schedule or um, based on the topics that you, what that you, you're interested in. What nutrients you need. Exactly. 
Um, and your new book is out. Again, we'll link to that, mm-hmm. but uh, we've talked about that, and that's Movement Matters. It's on Amazon. Um, and then also you're going to jump across the water here um, later this week, actually, and we're going to try and get this podcast out tomorrow, hopefully just to get it out in time for that and also for the other stuff happening around the book and stuff. Um, but you're going to be in Victoria this Thursday the 17th, right? And that's for a book talk. Yes, I'll be talking about, I'll be doing Q&A for all my books. uh, Move Your DNA was my biggest book. And then Movement Matters. It just became a bestseller yesterday. So that's exciting. Since it's it's not even supposed to be out for two more weeks. I was going to say, because I was like, (laughs) I'm going to, I'm like, oh, I want to get it here ahead of time. And then I was like, oh, the 30th. And then I looked it up and it still said the 30th. And then it's like, you can get it by Friday. And I, I like, know oh, it was perfect. a weird printing anomaly where, I mean, books never get printed early. It's always like rush, rush, run yeah. to the wire. And it got printed early. It got sent out to Amazon early. I mean, it was, it was record early three weeks ahead of time. So that's why it is maybe the only bestseller that is one. So before it's actual pub date, which is oh, two weeks wow. from now, it's like record holding there. That, it, yeah. it is, that's but you're, uh, you're going to need to put that on like all your Twitter and stuff. <laughs> that is crazy. Bestseller before it's out. Before it's even out. There's like I a mean, rap, there's a rap lyric there for sure. I'm sure, I'm sure Harry Potter probably gets that. It's like I'll snore for a Harry Potter. She's like, tell me something else that I haven't done. Right. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to be talking about um, all, all my different books. But yeah, Movement Matters is, Movement Matters is the book where I'm really trying to say that, you know, your movement matters as part of the, the ecosystem. It's part of what's taxing, your lack of movement is what's, make you know if you could move more it would not only make your own physiology better but the dynamics of your family the dynamics of your community the global community and the environment they are all directly impacted by how much you are or are not moving and so that's it's fun to explore it's a whole different perspective on movement i think it's really exciting yeah really motivational and i think it's the the beauty thing is that it's not you know prescriptive or talking down to anyone but it's it, it mm-hmm. provides some ideas it provides some examples from your life and you know different other people um that are, are part of that and, and part of your experience but it's 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 good. I think it's it's what a lot of people need. Again, whether those are people struggling to move or, like you say, the the high high end athletes who are you know going to have inactive parts. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, it's just about getting people to move more because movement makes us happy. Movement makes us feel good. It makes us feel well. And you know, all athletes who are struggling, what they're saying is like, I want to do the thing and I can't because I hurt. And I want you to get to do the thing too because I want to be surrounded by happy people who feel good. So yeah, I try to never talk. Da- I mean, it's not about like what you're doing is bad or whatever. It's just like, there might be a way for you to get even more out of your life doing the things that you want to do. So I find it to be very uplifting and a powerful message, I hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think it's been great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So again, we'll link to all Katie's stuff. You can check her out Twitter and Instagram. That's at nutritious M B M N T. Um, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook is also a good place, uh, at nutritious movement. Um, and then also her blog is also really, really good and a good place to start, uh, your journey into all the, the Katie says content and the, Ooh, and her podcast. Oh, and also Katie says podcast. Yes, also really good. So again, we'll link to all that. Katie, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. And good discussion. All right. Well, thank you. Um, good luck in Victoria. I'm sure you'll have a great time. Yeah. Have a, yeah. have an excellent safe travel and hopefully we'll uh we'll 
be on the West Coast at some point yeah, when you're there. Yeah, hopefully someday uh, get up there and, and we can participate in a class firsthand. But, uh, or we'll meet in Jersey, one way or the other. Oh, Absolutely. there you go. We'll go to the <laughs> diner and away we'll go. It'll be great. We can stand at the counter. That seems that's like a midway point, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We would love it if you'd go over to iTunes and leave us a review. And if you have any ideas or people you'd love to see on the podcast, feel free to tweet at us at Peter Glassford and at Molly J. Herford or find us over at consummateathlete.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Just a reminder to head over to healthiq.com slash consummate athlete to get your life insurance quote and find out how active people can get a good rate on their life insurance.